Hey folks, another top 10 for you. This one, top 10 prospect debuts in 2022. Two of these guys have already gotten long-term contracts. Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, baseball writer for Sports Illustrated, and thank you for making this your first listen every single day. And this year, more so than any others, we've seen a ton of impact prospect debuts. I think part of it is losing that minor league season in 2020. A lot of development timelines got changed, and we just, we've just we seen a bunch of guys uh, not only open the year in the big leagues, but have an impact all throughout the season. So number one is outfitter Julio Rodriguez of the Mariners. Uh, Debuted April 8th, opening day, has been in MLB all season, minus one little short stint where he was injured. Almost 110 games as of Sunday afternoon. 266, 325, 472 slash line. 21 home runs, 23 of 29 on stolen bases, uh, 31 walks to 126 strikeouts. So calling him the number one impactful uh, call-up of the year for a few reasons, and one is his performance has been very good. You know, batting batting over 250, uh, 2020 was for a while looked to be within reach of a 30-30 season. Probably won't happen this year. I think a 25-25 season is entirely possible. And then defensively has really kind of settled down uh, as the Mariners center fielder is showing pretty good defense. 318 chances, only three errors. It's a 9-9-1 fielding percentage. And range-wise, he's showing the range to cover just about everything. Really impactful on the defensive end. And the Mariners believe so strongly in Julio Rodriguez that he's already gotten a contract. And it is a very unique contract. So let's break this down real quick. Uh, Best way I can do it. Okay. So the base of this is eight years, 120 million. So starts in 2022 and runs through 2029. After the 2020, uh, and it guarantees, the guarantee is $210 million. I'll explain that in a second. But this is eight years, 120. After the 2028 World Series, the Mariners have to decide on the club option. And the club option is either for eight or 10 years, somewhere between 200 and $350 million. Now, what is... What decides the years and the money is defined already. So, from 22 through 28, if Julio Rodriguez does not get any top 10 votes in the MVP race, it is an eight-year, $200 million option. If he gets two top 10 votes, so he's voted top 10 in 2024, 26, or whatever, eight years, 240 million. So it adds 20 million per year, comes out to an extra 5 million. I'm uh, sorry, it adds 20 million to the option, 
comes out to an extra five million a year. Uh, if it is, if he gets four top ten votes, it becomes an eight-year, two hundred and sixty million dollar option. If he wins an MVP and then has a second year with top five votes, or he has three top five voting years, it becomes an eight-year, two hundred and eighty million dollar extension. And then if he wins two MVPs or is a top five finisher in four years, it goes up to a 10-year option at $350 million. So at the base level, no top 10 votes for the entire length of the contract. It's eight years, $200 million. His total guarantee in this deal becomes $320 million. If he gets votes it can like if he wins two MVPs it can go all the way to a 10 year 350 million dollar option which makes the guarantee 470 million over the course of the deal now if the team if the mariners decline this team option then remember it's it's like 5 days after the 2028 world series they have to make this decision so he knows going into 2029 it becomes a club option and the club option, I'm sorry, it, it becomes a player option. And the player option is for five years and 90 million. So you add that 90 to the original 120. That's where the, the language of the $210 million guarantee comes from. Because he gets um, he gets 120 now, and then he has an option for 90 million. So if he wants it, he's guaranteed 210 million. Now, his option, the five-year $90 million player option, can change as well. From 2022 to 2030, if he has eight combined Silver Slugger or All-Star selections, it goes to five years $100 million. So he earns $10 million in additional salary by getting those Silver Slugger or All-Star selections. If he gets 10 combined Silver Slugger or All-Star selections, it becomes five years, $110 million. If he wins an MVP and gets two all-star selections, that player option becomes five years for $125 million. So it's a very unique structure. I don't think I've ever seen this before as far as this level of performance escalator plus Team option that rolls into a, cl- uh, I'm sorry, yeah, team option that rolls into a player option. I've never seen this before. This is super interesting to me. Um, but either way, this is uh, this is the deal. Uh, the max value. I mean, this thing could be 18 years, 470 million dollars if everything works out right for Julio Rodriguez. And this is very much a we know you're a good player. We will pay you market salary if you are. A generational player with multiple MVPs and things like that. So, love this deal from both sides. He's guaranteed 210 million. Um, they're guaranteed control of him if he's a generational player, or he can opt out. If they decline the club option, he can decline the player option and become a free agent at age 29. I do not expect that to happen, but he can do it if he wants to. So, really unique contract complicated, but I like it. The other top performing uh, prospect in 2022 that I want to talk about is catcher Adley Rutschman. So 78 games so far, 
254, 364, 445, eight home runs, two or two on stolen bases, which is just gravy from a catcher. But uh, listen to this. 45 walks to 54 strikeouts in 78 games. So the home run production isn't necessarily there yet. And the production from the right side of the plate isn't necessarily there yet. But he's a doubles machine. He's got 26 doubles in uh, 78 games. And he's a, a walks machine as far as like 94th percentile on walk rate. So almost elite level pitch recognition and plate discipline already as a rookie. Defensively, he's looked very good. Pop time is like 88th percentile. Framing, he's in the 91st percentile. I think he's going to come into that homer power. Uh, and as, as well as probably just getting a little more settled from the right-hand side. But for now, looking like he is one of the most impactful um, the most impactful call-ups of the year, despite not debuting until May 21st. In just a minute, I want to get to three through six. Some great players here. Uh, but first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at LinkedIn. As you gear up for fall, you need the right people on your team to help your small business fire on all cylinders. LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. You can create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your connections and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. And that's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash lockedonmlb. That's linkedin.com slash lockedonmlb to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Okay, so a bit of a surprise because he was one of our favorite prospects earlier in the year, but number three, not number two, number three is Bobby Witt Jr. of the Royals. 117 games here. 254, 297, 447, 18 home runs, 26 of 30 on stolen bases, 23 walks to 106 strikeouts. There's things we love, and there's things Bobby Witt has to work on. So uh, exit velocity, he's like 94th, 95th percentile on exit below. When he gets into a ball, he gets into a ball. He is 100th percentile on sprint seed speed. He is one of the fastest players in Major League Baseball this year, statistically. Things we don't love, um, still chases too much. Uh, walk rate is incredibly low. That's why the on-base is below 300. So something he's going to settle into, a little bit better eye. And then I think we need to have the conversation about Bobby Witt's defense. Uh, the write-up from a lot of sites, and I was guilty of this too, was just kind of waving like strong, accurate arm and what, and he's fine. Uh, he leads the Royals in errors right now. He's got 17, um, 280, wait, wait, 104 chances at third base. He started at third base because Alberto Mondesi was at short. 104 chances at third base, three errors. It's a 971 fielding percentage. 283 chances at short, 14 errors. So 951 fielding percentage. Um, it's when you look at when you take defensive run saved and ultimate zone rating. So uh, so DRS and UZR, the two different defensive measurements. 
add them together, get the average of the two, and then divide that by the number of innings, he's twice as bad at short as the next guy who was Boba Shett. So, like, he's literally 18 runs better at third base than he is at short. And so, there's a, you know, and Nicky Lopez on the Royals has been perfectly fine defensively at short, and his bat profile's there anyway. So, there's a thought process about, like, and they're, they're letting Bobby Witt work through it at short because when you're a bad team, you can do that. But there's a thought process here that says, move him to third base. There is... There's not really a third base prospect in the system other than you just drafted Caden Wallace from Arkansas, who's a couple years away anyway. Nicky Lopez can play short. Just put Bobby Witt there. Put Bobby Witt at third. Have him be the full-time third baseman. You lose a little bit of value because third base is not a premium defensive spot like shortstop is. But if he is, if he is 18 runs better at third base over the course of a season than at short, put him at, put him at third. His home run power... Uh, his his steals, like that all profile, like his steals are above average for a third baseman. The the power will profile for a third baseman. Put him there. Number four, outfielder Michael Harris. Called up in May 28th. He's played 81 games through Sunday afternoon. 288, 334, 507 slug. 13 home runs. A perfect 15 of 15 on stolen bases. 15 walks to 81 strikeouts. So the thing here is, same issue a lot of some of the other guys have as far as not as big of a walk rate. He's not striking out more than once a game, so I'm, you know, I'm kind of okay there. Playing gold glove caliber defense in the outfield. He's only got one error in 183 chances. His range is above average to plus as far as the balls that he gets to. There are balls off the bat. I'm like, oh, that's a double. That's a double in the gap, and Michael Harris gets there. And so it's done a lot for this for that team because they were able to move Adam Duvall out of center. We've talked before about your sluggers. When they play center, their production drops. The Braves believe in Michael Harris and what he can be. They went ahead and locked him up on an eight-year contract, $72 million. He's going to get a year of service time this year, because he's going to finish in the top of the Rookie of the Year voting. He's going to be in the National League probably number one or number two. He'll get a year of service time. So this buys out two years of minimum salaries, three years of arbitration, and three years of free agency. Eight years, $72 million. There's two individual team options at the end of it. If they exercise both of those, then he's locked up for 10 years and $102 million. Absolute value, especially when you look at Julio Rodriguez, was eight years, 120, that could become, you know, what, 470 at the end of the day? So great value for the Braves, uh, great value for Michael Harris, who, who grew up a Braves fan in Atlanta, and that's kind of been the, the team-building strategy of the Braves is they find these Southern guys who grew up watching the Braves, who are Braves fans, bring them in the organization, develop them, good player development, like we talked about yesterday, and then uh, take all of that and go ahead and sign them to team-friendly deals when they're younger, give them the financial security that they want. Number five, shortstop Jeremy Pena of the Astros. So 104 games, he start, he's, he's cooled off a bit in the second half of the year, but the overall stats are still not bad. 244, 284, 412, 16 home runs, and then 7-9 on stolen bases, 
19 walks to 105 strikeouts. Strikes out about once a game. Uh, walk rates about, you know, one-fifth of his strikeout rate. Uh, 417 chances in the field. 14 errors, so 966 fielding. Uh, I, I think some of that is still adjusting to the mate, to to the MLB level. Uh, we always had him as an above average to plus defender. I think he's going to be fine. The biggest thing here is you were able to subtract Carlos Correa out of this lineup. And Jeremy Pena came in, especially early, settled the team down, gave them good defense, gave them positive production on offense. And so I think that's big as far as uh, his performance as a rookie this year. Number six on the list is second baseman Nolan Gorman of the Cardinals. So, a little bit different situation here. He was drafted as a third baseman, and he got shipped, moved to second base when Nolan Arenado joined the organization. But 76 games in MLB this year, 239, 313, 438. 13 home runs, perfect one of one on stolen bases, with 25 walks to 86 strikeouts. So striking out a little bit more than once a game. But um, but walking, you know, walk rate to strikeout rate is uh, what one to three and a half or so. So a little, you know, beating that twenty five percent mark there. Uh, the the ding here is the defense, right? So eight errors and two hundred seventy two chances, a nine seventy one fielding percentage, which sounds really good. Sound well, not really good. It sounds better than some of the other guys we've talked about. But they're hiding him on defense. Like, he is playing despite his defense. So, some things they do, they've shifted a lot more with him in the infield to try to give him some help uh, on, on, you know, ground balls in the infield. They sometimes go and do a defensive replacement for late games when it's close and put a different defender in there. Uh, So, again, in his defense, was drafted as a third baseman, not a second baseman, came up as a third baseman and got position changed when Nolan Arenado joined. So probably not the best fit for second base anyway, but can't play first, can't play third, because you've got guys there. You've got Arenado and Goldschmidt. You're not going to lift them for a Nolan Gorman. So something where it's hard to put him higher than that when he's a negative on defense and you're having to like actively cover up for him on defense. In just a minute, I want to get to the final few. I love... Some of these guys, including the only pitcher on the list. Okay, number seven, George Kirby of the Mariners. The only pitcher on the list here. Uh, so, 18 games for George Kirby. Five and three, three three two ERA. Uh, he's thrown 97 and two-thirds innings. 13 walks to 102 strikeouts with a one one nine eight whip. Um... He's he's given up 12 home runs, but uh, things we like, things we don't like. So things that we uh, that I like so far. If you if you check out a lot of his at bats, he gets he's good at getting ahead in the count. The most outside of zero zero, obviously, the most common pitch that he throws is a 0-1 pitch because he has a strike on a guy already. So like that's the most common pitch that he throws outside of the first pitch of the at bat, and we know that the difference in like, it all comes down to if you're throwing 0-2 versus 1-1 one and one or versus 2-0, and 
you're going to be a lot more successful. And I think that's a big key to his success is throwing early strikes. Um, Robbie Ray taught him a cutter this year. Like he just randomly broke out a cutter mid-season. Robbie Ray taught it to him. He throws it. It's his second most used pitch now. And I'm not opposed. I, I like the cutter. I like the movement and the profile that it has. What I do want to see is I want him to throw a little bit more sliders. So when you look at his pitch mix, um, 55% fastball, uh, better than league average velocity there. 16% cutter, 15% curve, 9% changeup, 5% slider. When we were talking about him as a prospect, the slider was a plus slider and his second best pitch. And so I'd like to see him increase the slider usage some. And I think, I mean, maybe at the, I don't necessarily know what it would be at the expense of, maybe at the expense of the curve. Um, curve is what curve bef- when he was a prospect was his third. It was like curve and then change for three and four. So he believes in the cutter, throws a lot of cutters. I'd like to see a little bit more sliders, less curveballs. Uh, simply because that slider was such a weapon. And I'm assuming it still is. I don't know. Maybe things have changed. But when he was a prospect, we liked the slider. I want to see more of those sliders. Number eight, Christopher Morrell of the Cubs. Uh, a guy that wasn't in, like super highly touted entering the season, but has been, uh, has been a, a performer for the Cubs this year. 84 games, 249, 313, 442, 12 home runs. 9 of 15 on stolen bases, 27 walks to 103 strikeouts. So, uh, thing on offense, the reason why he's down here at 8 is on offense, he's a very much a streaky hitter. He'll, have, he'll be hot for a week or two, and then it'll kind of back off a bit. And he'll be cold for a week or two. Sometimes it's longer. Uh, and what I'd like to see happen is I'd like to see the hot streaks be longer, the cold streaks be shorter. Uh, and just, in general, have a more reliable level of performance. So he moves back and forth between lineup, uh, leadoff and farther back in the lineup based on how hot or cold he is at the time. On defense, he's played mostly center field and second base. Uh, he's, been, he's best at second base. He's second best in center field. They've had him play some third and some short. He's had more errors and less chances. I don't really feel like either one of those positions is ideal for him but he can do it in a pinch. He's that guy with the versatility where second base center field is his primary job. If you have an in-game injury, if you have somebody who needs a day off and your your depth isn't quite there, he can fill in at third base, shortstop. And if you can play center field, you can probably play the corners pretty well. So a lot of versatility there for Christopher Morrell uh, and something where that's useful for a rebuilding club. One, it gets you playtime. Two, it helps them uh, if they have somebody who's trying to learn the position live on the fly at the big league level and that person's struggling, they know, well, we can throw Christopher Morrell in to take his place for a week while he takes some time off. We can send somebody down to AAA. Morrell can play that for a while and then somebody will come back. Number nine player on this list, outfielder Stephen Kwan of the Guardians. 112 games. 300 batting average. Best batting average on this entire list. 300, 375, 394. So not a ton of pop in the profile, but just really good at making contact, getting on base. 
Um, three home runs, 12 of 16 on stolen bases, 47 walks to 45 strikeouts. I think he's one of the only ones on here who has more walks and strikeouts as well. Just really good eye and pitch discernment from Stephen Kwan. You love to see that. Uh, he's mostly played left field. Um, 982 fielding percentage. He's got four errors and 228 chances. And he's played a little bit of right. And I feel like a disproportionate number of his errors and his fielding miscues, error or non-error, have come from his time in right field. So mostly a left fielder. Doesn't fit the traditional left field profile as far as the power. You know, he only has, you know, it's slugging 394. But... Uh, gives you a guy who can reliably get on, he can bat higher up in the lineup, and then you can let other hitters bring him in. So, useful addition there for the Guardians. Has He's has played well this season. And then number 10 on the list, um, last but certainly not least, Brendan Donovan of the Cardinals. Utility player is kind of what I'm going to call him. He's played a, a bunch of outfield, mostly, because... Your corners are set, your second base is set, and your shortstop is really set there for St. Louis. But 94 games, 298, 404, 386. Again, not a ton of power, but same kind of similar profile as Stephen Kwan about good at making contact, good at getting on base. He's just short of 300 in batting average, just over 400 non base. Two home runs, two of five in stolen bases. 42 walks to 55 strikeouts. Defensively, he's played just about everything except for catcher and center field. He's played left and right. He's played uh, some at first and third. He's played a little bit of second. Um, He has played some short. He's played, I think he's started six games at short, played in seven total games at short. Um, Defensively, like by the numbers, short and third, are the worst positions followed by first. First, when you're when you're you struggle at first, that's normally a fielding error. You're not getting balls you should get. Uh, third base and shortstop. Uh, I feel like shortstop has been fielding errors. Third base has been throwing errors for the most part for Brendan Donovan. But um, very useful corner guy in the outfield. Um, second base as well where Nolan Gorman is as well. So a lot of versatility there. Another one of those guys, kind of like a Morrell where you can move him all around and incredibly useful for a contender to have a guy like that that can go back and forth. But until then, this has been Locked on MLB Prospects. Uh-huh.